Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Sharon, welcome back. I know, in the studio. Yeah, two-hour driving all today, right? I know. I drove two hours to just come see you. You know, I think you do that just to clear your head, to get out of your own space. (laughs) Well, there is something to that, except usually, how many times do I call you? I've got this idea, Jerry. Oh, I know, I know. And it's usually you're calling at six-something in the morning. I do, but you're up. But the other morning, I I had you going, right? Yes, yes, you did. Yeah. 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 And then whenever I didn't call you, all weekend and you're texting me on sunday night you're quiet are you are you dead <laughs> it was sunday morning actually was it? yeah it was like 6 30 sunday morning and you're wondering so. if i'm dead because you hadn't heard from me all weekend <laughs> oh well it's good to be back in here and i'm looking forward to today's topic and our guest we've, absolutely we've waited for a long time to get yes this we have but this She's, is so worth the wait she is just so busy you know we have to work into her schedule yeah. <laughs> Why don't you introduce uh, you know our guest today? Um, it is Lorraine Jordan, the incomparable Lorraine Jordan. And gosh, how long have I known you? Long time. <laughs> Since we've been three, and that was about five years ago. Yep, I think. that's it. That's it. So, Lorraine, why don't you tell everything that you do for the AANA as oh gosh, well as yeah, the we, foundation? We, we, we well, I mean, I we don't, don't have think, enough time for that. Well, that's I mean. true, but I don't think people understand how much is rolled up in one person within our organization. So, why don't why don't you enlighten our listeners, Lorraine? So I'm Lorraine Jordan, and I am the Chief Advocacy Officer for the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists, and I've had that job for approximately three years, and then I also serve as the CEO of the AANA Foundation. As the Chief Advocacy Officer of AANA, I really have the privilege of overseeing a lot of our divisions within AANA. I oversee uh, state government affairs, federal government affairs, the practice division, which includes wellness, our accrediting bodies. I oversee our publications, the AANA Journal, 
I also oversee our PAC, and I oversee the research and quality divisions of the AANA. And then after all of those duties, uh, it rolls up into the CEO of the AANA Foundation, which is really a great fit for the association. We've really been able to take the initiatives that AANA puts forward and kind of embed those initiatives in the AANA Foundation in its activities. So when the AANA has a focus and initiatives that they want to move forward with, the foundation in synergy works with AANA to be able to support those activities financially. So my role and my jobs, both my jobs, really fit well together at moving our profession forward as CRNAs. I feel that it's an extremely valuable position and I truly enjoy it. It allows me to engage in all facets of the organization. You know, Lorraine, you just made me really tired listening to that, <laughs> I, I will say. But you know what? This, like she said, just happened about three years ago. And it, who come up with that whole idea? Because, I mean, the advocacy has got to be supported by research. And so you always kind of worked in tandem. And so somebody said, mm. well, let me just give her another job. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if she'll do it. <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny. When I started at AANA, I started in education and research, and I was overseeing all of our federal government affairs as it related to education and research. So I did a lot of lobbying and testifying at the beginning of my career, and then as my career advanced and changed, and I've kind of morphed based on what the needs of the association are, it really has met, I think, our development and our focus and our continued way of growing. We've been able to take our leadership at AANA and kind of grow and move to meet the needs of the association and our members. Well, Lorraine, you know, I know a little bit about the foundation now and (laughs) have learned a lot more over the last uh, year and a half or so. But so let's kind of tell our listeners who, who supports the foundation and where does the money and the funding come from to do the things that, you do to advance nurse anesthesia. Well, can I interject? Sure. Let's talk about the foundation itself for just a minute. Because I don't even, we have a lot of young listeners. 70% of our listeners are under the age of 32, which means they're either brand new CRNAs or students. So talk about the foundation itself and what its purpose is, and then talk about where the money comes from after that. Is that all right? Yeah. So the foundation's really, it's a 501c3. So what that means is it's a charitable not-for-profit. And it was really founded to support research and education specifically for CRNAs and students. With that, what we actually do is we fund students and we fund students in relationship to student scholarships, student projects. We have an emergency student grant. So we take care of our student body through the ANA Foundation in those ways. Then we have a research side and we fund research activities. We fund research activities for CRNAs getting their DMPs, their doctoral degrees, their PhDs. We also fund CRNAs in fellowship programs to advance their research, to advance their research skills. And then on top of all that, we also have a very specific element or side of our research activities known as health policy research. 
And that arm was started probably about seven years ago. I can't quite remember exactly, but a while back. And the purpose was to fund studies to support the profession of nurse anesthesia and allow us to have evidence to be able to move forward, especially in the federal government and state government affairs areas. So to launch that particular program, we were very grateful that when we began the program, that NBCRNA actually gave us a million dollars to say, here's a million dollars. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to conduct research that's going to support the profession and demonstrate the good things that CRNAs do, both quality, cost, and access. And those are the three areas that we really focus on in our health policy research. That arm has really grown and really moved very, very much forward because of that initial funding that NBCRNA has provided. So with that, we've been able to actually move the needle in DC on several issues, as well as utilize that data and evidence to support CRNAs at the state level in some of the state battles. So I don't know if that that's what you're looking for, but our job is really to fund education and research. That's it. We don't fund anything else, which sometimes is difficult because there's sometimes things that CRNAs do that we'd like to help fund them, but that's not what we're able to do from a legal perspective. As a 501c3, we have to stay within our own lane, and our lane is research and education to support nursing anesthesia, our profession. You know, Lorraine, as I'm sitting here listening and, you know, and Sharon, you know where I'm going to go with this because I'm the financial guy, and that is... Sorry, the light goes out and I have to wave my hand, Lorraine. So I wasn't really (laughs) waving to you. But, you know, I look at the foundation of supporting individual CRNAs' paychecks. And the reason I look at it that way is because the research that you're doing is proving the worth of CRNAs every day. And it's helping in the battle that CRNAs go through when they're in the OR or when they're talking about their career versus an anesthesiologist or an AA. And that's the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're really fortunate that it sounds as if the research that we do is relatively esoteric, but it really isn't. It all comes down to what's the quality and can we demonstrate our quality in our research? And the answer is absolutely unequivocally in the first study that we ever did that really was monumental was uh, no harm found. And that was published, I believe, in 20. 10 mm-hmm. in health affairs. And that was so stunningly wonderful for the profession because for the first time, we had evidence that said our quality was the same, if not better, than an anesthesiologist. And we used the Medicare data set. And most importantly, it was published in the most renowned journal that you could have re- have had our research published in at that time. So with that, we were able then to do some cost-effective analysis later, just a little bit later, with the Lewin Group taking that head on and really demonstrating that CRNAs do and are cost-effective as providers, looking at a comparison between CRNAs and anesthesiologists. And those two, I have to say, I think those two studies were the cornerstone to really give us a trajectory to move forward in our research arena to demonstrate our quality. Since then, we've had several other studies that we've been able to do. And we've even looked at underserved areas. And guess who serves those underserved areas? Shocker. Let me guess. The anesthesiologist wants to move there, right, Lorraine? (laughs) 
No, not really. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but now when we look at our issues at hand, diversity, equity, inclusion, we can see the evidence that CRNAs are the ones that are serving those communities. So we've been able to really, I would say, move forward and with evidence, all these things we've known in the past, but now we have evidence, we have numbers, we have research to demonstrate our value to today's healthcare system. So that's what the foundation really does on the public side. Now on the private side, and by that I mean when individual CRNAs do research, they do research in many different areas based on their level of expertise, but we also support that because we want CRNAs to be able to improve and to become better in their careers, especially in the research arena, because we need as many researchers as we can find to continue to demonstrate the evidence that we are able to do research and provide quality anesthesia in this country. Well, I can tell you when the MBCRNA grant was and when that started. Oh, Sharon, you remember that? I do, do remember you? that. Oh, that's I do. interesting. I do. Yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> um, and that would have been 14, 15, whenever I was AANA president. And I certainly took a little bit of heat for that because some people thought that I was bribed by the million dollars to sign the service agreement with the NBCRNA, which we signed the service agreement in December. And we talked to them about the grant in July. And then we got the money in August at the business meeting. And I will never forget that conference call that we had with the NBCRNA board. And it was Lorraine and I, whenever we talked to them, And whenever they told us that we were going to get the grant for a million dollars, Lorraine called me back right after we got off the call, and she was crying. She said, it's the largest grant. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to get these studies done for just a little while. So that was a real highlight of my time as AANA president to be able to do that. And it certainly warms my heart to think that that has started all of these studies that we couldn't fund. And, you know, as AANA president, I knew that we didn't have the funds. We're running an organization to do these studies. So we were always working with Lorraine because it's not cheap. A study that No Harm Found was a quarter of a million dollars at least. That's just one study. I don't think anybody realized that. I mean, I certainly did not realize that at all how much these studies cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't think the average CRNA out there understands this either to be honest. And it's, they're very expensive, but you're also paying for someone to do the study that's a neutral party. You're paying someone with the expertise and frankly the recognition from federal officials. That's important that right. if you want to take your studies forward that it has that and I'll use the word panache mm-hmm. to be able to have a strong feeling that this study is accurate, it's valid, and it's non-biased. Those are the things we look for. And that costs a lot of money for us to be able to afford to do that. A typical study, a typical smaller study, costs us between at least a quarter of a million to 350000 on an average basis. And it's really all about purchasing the data and getting all of the disclaimers and all the the confidentiality arrangements to get the data to be able to analyze it. So it's really quite a process. And as you well 
probably well know it doesn't happen in three months. No. That harms found uh, no harm found study took almost two years from start to finish. And I want to tell a little story about that study because that study, as amazing as it is, it was interesting with health affairs was ready to publish it. The author, Jerry Cromwell, had submitted the title to be different than what ended in publication. After the editors and the reviewers read that particular study, they asked the author, Jerry Cromwell, at the time, Dr. Cromwell, to change the title because they felt that the title needed to be as impactful as a study. So that's kind of Uh. interesting that we had someone outsider saying, this is how important this is, and we want to move people with the title. Hey, Lorraine, I'm going to throw you kind of a curveball here. I don't know whether you know the answer to this or not, but any idea of what the ASA spends in regards to these types of studies and so forth versus what we're able to spend on the CRNA side? I don't know the exact figure, but I know it a couple of years ago I figured it out. They spend well over, well over $10 million. Now that's wow. over time. I don't know what that looks like in a in a. And the other thing is, it's interesting how they get their. Here's the difference: ASA necessarily doesn't fund studies like we do. And let me explain. If you look at the majority of, and when I say 10 million, I'm not saying from ASA. I'm saying overall when you look at the studies, they actually get a lot of the funding they get from their universities, from private entities, from federal entities. We typically don't do that. And part of that is because we don't sit in the same place in the research communities. That's the first thing. Second thing, if you're doing clinical studies, it's difficult as a CRNA, and I think all CRNAs would recognize this, it's sometimes difficult to get into the clinical area to be able to do the studies and be the primary investigator. That's very difficult. So I don't know for sure what that number is as far as ASA specifically, And I know that APSF funds studies, but those are much more neutral. They are not health policy studies necessarily. They're a very different type of study. So my answer to you is it's tremendously larger than what we spend, but I can also tell you that their funding sources are much more scattered than our funding sources. All right. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. So, all right, we know that you, we talked about the grant. How... Otherwise, is the AANA Foundation funded? So we actually are funded through CRNA and SRNA contributions. All the work that you see that we do is funded through contributions. Now, the staffing component is partially funded through AANA, and we are so grateful for that. But the work that you see, the publications, the scholarships, the grants, the poster sessions, All of those activities are funded through CRNA and SRNA direct contributions from individuals. So it's critical for us to get money from our members to be able to do this very important work. Without this work, we can't substantiate our practice, nor can we move ourselves forward in the health policy world. So basically donating to the foundation is an investment in your future. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. It's an investment in your paycheck. Yeah. Really? I mean, it is. 
Because the work that the foundation is yeah, doing is but, substantiating. I know, but. Exactly. But Lorraine and I are saying it in a prettier way. Well, I'm saying it in a realistic way. <laughs> you, you guys are dancing around it. I can well, say the direct. Well, that's because we are you know used I mean? to the legislative I, arena. I know. I know. <laughs> but, but yeah. And Lorraine, let's, I know it's also 40th anniversary. Yeah. So we want to talk about that for a minute as well. Sure, we have a big celebration for the 40th anniversary. And Jeremy, you probably know this just as well as I do. For the 40th anniversary, it's a ruby gift, is 40, designates 40 years. And uh, there are several different ways. We are looking for a $2,500 contribution to get the ruby gift with the ruby symbol. And what that really means, it's a 210 monthly contribution to the foundation. Or you can give $40 monthly, which would give us $480 to the foundation as a Sapphire gift. And then we're asking students to please contribute $40 over the year, over a year. Maybe that's $10 a quarter. But the way I look at that, and I know what it's like to be a student, and I know what it's like to manage uh, your finances, but that's about, I think, about two Starbucks <laughs> a quarter, Yeah, I think, approximately. So if we put it into context, to invest in your future, to have evidence to support AANA and USCRNAs to be able to practice to your full extent and capabilities and talents, that's what the foundation does for you. It provides that evidence. And then using that evidence, we can then move that up through our federal and state affairs, as well as in our political arena across the board. So it's quite a good investment. We are excited about 40 years at the foundation. It is really a wonderful feat. And it's because of the members that we're able to have the foundation. In total, we've given out oh, over $6.3 million over the years. And we want to continue to do that. You didn't talk about the Friends for Life program. Sure. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Friends for Life. We have a Friends for Life program. And some of my dearest colleagues tell me that it's friends and death. How do you explain <laughs> that? Well, they can sorta. do it during life and death, right? <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about what that means. Friends for Life is a program in which it's really a way in which you can give to the foundation. Our minimum contribution is $25,000. Let me tell you a little bit about that before we jump to that big number. First of all, you can give to the foundation by either buying an insurance policy and you can buy the insurance policy and pay the premiums. And then the beneficiary of that insurance policy, life insurance policy is the AANA Foundation. You can put us in a will and um, that's probably the easiest. And the easiest way to do the will is probably to decide a distribution percent distribution of your will, but you can also do $25,000 straight out. Some members give us $10,000 and then $15,000 in a two-year period. That's a little bit more difficult for people. Let's see, the will, life insurance, those are the two most common ways to give. And they now, can also give from their retirement plan, right? Just make you a, a beneficiary on a retirement plan as well. And we have a couple people that have done that. And it, it's just, we will work with you at a way that makes it reasonable for you and to manage you uh, and manage your expenses so that you're very comfortable with that contribution to the foundation. But it's a wonderful program. We have 
over 100 people in the program. I think we're at about 150 now, over 150 now in the program. Are they all still alive? Or Or does that include the one? No, they're not all still alive. Because because we actually started the program, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, in 1990, and so we really want to continue to grow that program. It's an easy way to give, and uh, Nat Carmichael is our expert in the office, and he'll work with you to make that happen, to make it most comfortable for both you and your family. Yeah, it's interesting about this because, as Sharon said, a lot of our listeners are younger, but we're we're starting to see kind of an uptick on the opposite end of the spectrum in listening to podcasts. And I would think that the younger folks, as I was teaching a class this morning for a school, you know, one of the things is, you know, I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I've seen the cycles in nurse anesthesia. But, you know, at some point, this supply-demand imbalance in, in nurse anesthesia, and I guess anesthesia as a whole, is going to be met. And then what's the future going to look like? And I think Lorraine, what we're saying here is that the foundation is investing in that future by being able to prove the worth of the CRNA and and also being the most cost-effective provider out there. So I think this is important. It's a great message to get out. So. Well, you know, you get a really nice pendant to hang around your neck while you're alive for friends, <laughs> friends for life. And I just always, you know, every time I think about that pendant, I think about Jim Walker, and I am not sure why, but he wears that pendant so well. <laughs> it always looks so good on him, but I think, I think Jim's such a handsome plus anyway. So that being said, let's talk about some of the things that we've kind of skirted around some of the things that the foundation has been involved with. Now, let's talk about your other role also, being the chief advocacy officer. So tell us a little bit about that and what you're working on right now during the 80-hour work week that you're doing for us. And thank you so very much. Well, you know, I'll start with uh, D.C., Washington, D.C. You know, with the Biden administration, we're trying to evaluate how do we align ourselves with the new movement that uh, President Biden's put forward? And what does that mean for us as CRNAs? As you know, the Affordable Care Act or variations of that clearly are coming into play. But one of the very important issues that we're dealing with is really non-discrimination and surprise billing and looking at not and having providers being able to bill and not be discriminated against. That particular movement has really put us into the forefront of trying to help resolve that surprise billing issues that many patients have. So we have until almost the end of the year to figure out how this is going to come into play and it's into play with many of the agencies and we're working with them to make sure that we can put some language forward that's reasonable for CRNAs and that will actually protect us for not a non-discrimination clause. The next thing that we clearly are involved in is the VA, the Veterans Affairs, and trying to get full practice authority within the, the VA is very important for us. We have many different places across the country in VAs in which CRNAs practice very differently And so we would like some standardization. And within that standardization, what we're looking for is that CRNAs will be able to practice to their full scope and not have their hand ties tied within those facilities. Many of the individuals that work in the VA have served in the military and they have had the opportunity to really practice quite freely. 
And then they come into the VA and depending on which one they're in, they have different restrictions to their practice. And that has made it very difficult for CRNAs to really optimize their skill set in helping our veterans today. Then removal of supervision. That continues to be on our docket in which we're trying to remove supervision across the board so that CRNAs across the board can practice using all of their talents. And then last but not least is probably the impact of our reimbursement programs. Looking at our commercial programs and the government programs and our value-based programs, which are government related, to see how can we optimize reimbursement for CRNAs while still optimizing, if not the care today, but even better care for our patients down the road. And how can anesthesia be a key component to that optimization of care for our patients? And then I, since I'm on federal government affairs, I do want to give a plug for PAC because they sit under me as well. <laughs> and PAC is our political action committee. And we also raise money for the political action committee. And we give funding to individuals, both representatives and individuals in the House, our congressmen as a whole and congresswomen as a whole, to support their efforts, especially when they're supporting some of the things that we have and we want to move forward with. And so we do have a PAC, and it really helps to support our advocacy efforts in Congress. Has the Biden administration rescinded the emergency order that the Trump administration put into effect, getting rid of supervision of nurse anesthetists federally? Have they rescinded it? Yeah. No. Okay. So it's still in effect. Well, yes, it is. But remember, just because the federal is in effect doesn't mean that each state is different on how they implement it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lorraine, why don't you talk about some of the state advocacy issues that you are involved in? Sure. So at the state level, we continually look to help states move to a full practice authority position within their states. And that's very different based on each state. Some of them have to deal with supervision. Some of them have restrictions on their practice from maybe the state boards of nursing, but not so much from the state boards of nursing. Nursing Usually that's from the medical boards, medical societies. Uh, dental societies are now putting, uh, attempting to put some restrictions on yes, the way CRNAs practice. Even in North and Carolina. Then, yeah, there you go. North Carolina. Perfect. And then we deal with AAs, the issue AAs and how they want to engage in anesthesia practice and how do we work with them at the state level. And so that becomes a continual issue for us. And then, of course, gaining opt-out status status within the states, having the states actually gain and get opt-out status from their governors. And that is a continued issue that we will always work on until we can get all of our states to be opt-out states. And Lorraine, I mean, this is a, a big job, obviously, and there's a lot of grassroots that have to go on. Are there opportunities for CRNAs out there to help in this? There are absolutely tons of opportunities. At the state level, I would ask people to refer back to your state leadership and ask them what opportunities they have there. At the federal level, we have all types of opportunities. And if you wish and you want to become involved, please feel free to reach out to me and then I can get you over to our federal government affairs people. We also have opportunities within our different committee structures with AANA. And then I'm going to bounce back to the, the foundation for a minute. We have tons of opportunities on the foundation to review posters, grants, scholarships, sitting on the foundation board, 
There are opportunities across the board. So if you want to become involved, contact me and I'll get you to the right people so that you can become much more engaged in the AANA and the foundation. The more engaged you are, the more excited you will become as a CRNA. And it's just, it just is a wonderful profession. And the excitement that you can build within yourself really penetrates what you do in clinical practice and in research and in education. Uh, Now you have foundation advocates in each of the 50 states, right? Because Nancy Curl in North Carolina was one of our foundation advocates for a while. And Jeremy sits on your board of trustees now. And I sat on the board of trustees when I was president-elect. So, I mean, and if you've never had the opportunity to go to one of the foundation events at the annual meeting, excluding COVID, you need to go because they're really fun. They have a really good DJ who really (laughs) loves the foundation. No personal plugs. (laughs) But it's it's truly... A fun event. My yep. favorite is going back to when we were in Orlando and you had the talent show there at that time and the AANA board did the skit about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah. <laughs> I was Snow White. Imagine. <laughs> but it was really good. I'll never forget. Actually, Cheryl Nemo just texted me the other day and we were talking about it. And I said, you know, I will never forget when she leans over. She was the Wicked Witch and she hands me the apple and she says, I'm from the ASA. I'm here to help. Please take this delicious apple. <laughs> when seconds count, right, Sharon? <laughs> yeah, that's right. When seconds count. Oh, that's pretty good. So, Lorraine, let's talk a little bit more about you. What drives you to do the job that you do at ANA and ANA Foundation? You know, I can tell you that seeing this association, seeing my profession grow and being a part of that, that's why I get up in the morning. I am all about seeing us being bigger and better every single day. And it's so important to me And I've been given the privilege, actually, and I really view it as a privilege and the opportunity to help assist and be instrumental, hopefully, in making that happen. It is absolutely the joy of my life. I love it. I love everything I do. To see us grow and just, you probably haven't gotten there, but I might as well reveal because most people know this. I've been at the AANA more than 25 years. So I have seen this tremendous transition of an organization in which CRNAs were great, but we continue to be better and bigger and better and bigger. And that's what you're supposed to do. And thank goodness for all of our predecessors to allow us to have actually paved the way for us to become better, better clinicians, better practitioners, better researchers, and much better educators across the board And to continue to see that kind of growth is so fulfilling for me. And I I can tell you, I just, every morning, I am so grateful for the opportunity and the privilege to serve our members and to be able to see us get bigger and better than we ever could be. Yeah. You know, the other thing I've told people about is I've worked with a lot of students throughout the years in their professional aspects class. I have never seen 
students be as smart as they are today. They are smart. They are highly mm-hmm. intelligent. They are driven and dedicated, and I just can't wait to see what this group mm-hmm. is going to do with this organization. I mean, they really are. I mean, it is amazing to watch how smart these young folks are today. So, And just to make you feel better, Lorraine, Sharon admitted on our podcast today that she has been affiliated with the ANA as a student and all the way through for 30 years, <laughs> just because I wanted to throw that out there. I'll stab you in the eye in just a few minutes. Karen, <laughs> I would have guessed it was only five. There you go. There you go Lorraine. That's because yeah, Lorraine, Lorraine and takes I, up you for know, you. we're contemporaries. <laughs> uh, all right. You want to do the lightning round? I think All right. Let's should. do it real quick. Yes. All right. All right. What is your superpower, Lorraine, outside of all the things you just told us about? I think my superpower is, I don't know. I asked my son these questions. <laughs> oh, did you? In the, aren't I, they cool? <laughs> so I said, so what do you think my, my superpower is? And my son said to me, Mom, you can read people. You know what they're thinking. And you know how to get them engaged because you want to listen to them. Wow. Uh, he, he nailed wow. that. No, he nailed that. That is, yeah. He nailed that. You know who I loved know. Lorraine? You know who loved Lorraine? Was my daddy. <laughs> well. My daddy loved Lorraine. I mean, I'm not even sure my daddy loved me sometimes, but he loved Lorraine. I've got a picture of her sitting yeah, on his do. lap. I don't yeah, know if we can say do. that on the show here, but anyway, let's uh, let's move forward here. Lorraine, what's your favorite word? Can I give you three words? Sure, you can do anything you want. <laughs> when do you need that? <laughs> no, my, my probably my favorite word. My my grandkids tell. I use the word fantastic a lot. Fantastic. I like that. So if you had one year left to live, what would you do? The same thing I'm doing right now. I knew you were going to say that. Mm. I know. It's the truth. No, that's that's a great place to be. That is. It's a wonderful place. Hey, I can't tell you how many people would not view it that way. So, all right. Last one here. Who's your hero? My mother. My mother and my grandmother. My uh, mother, everybody knows this, I think. At the AA, if you've been around long enough, my mother was uh, so supportive of me. She actually worked when the foundation first started. We had no money. I had no staff. So she would go to meetings and she would work the golf course for me. She would <laughs> wow. she would do the attendance. She would do the my poor parents. I'm surprised they even love me. Um, and she actually I didn't have any money to help me get through the, reviewing all the scholarships. She would help me review all the scholarships. So I could get through them. Wow. She was a nurse. She had her master's degree. She taught at uh, Catholic University and Marquette University. She also was a hospital administrator. But she, I'll just tell you a quick story. She was the one that wanted, to become, wanted me to become a nurse anesthetist because she said that when she observed all the nurses coming into the work, the nurse anesthetists came in and they were the ones that were the happiest. Hmm. And they enjoyed what they did. And she told me, she said, you will feel so fulfilled as a nurse anesthetist, as a CRNA. And the reason why you'll feel fulfilled is because you'll be able to use the education, the talent, and the love you have to take care of your patients. And you'll be able to use that at your fullest capacity. And that's difficult to do. And she really felt strongly that the compassion that CRNAs and the intellectual skills that they have 
that we can apply them at the bedside as many of the other nursing specialties don't have that opportunity to do. So she is by far my hero. Yeah. And a very wise woman, it sounds Mm -hmm. like. (laughs) All right, Lorraine, anything you want to conclude on as we wrap up here? No, other than I want to say thank you very, very much for allowing me to reach out in this way. It's it's phenomenal. I, uh, I love what I do as Jeremy and, and Sharon, you guys have both worked with me and it is my privilege to work with you. It is absolutely my privilege. So I thank you so much for the opportunity to address your audience. And if anyone ever has anything that they need to do or reach out about the ANA or foundation, they should do so. And hopefully I can help them out. Yeah. Well, we know that's true, Lorraine. As much as you do for CRNAs and this organization, you know, it shows every single day. So thank you for everything you do as well. You're welcome. Sharon? I think we've done it. Donate to the foundation. That's right. And the pack. And the pack. Yeah, I didn't want to forget. I didn't didn't leave that out. So, all right. So we want to thank you, Lorraine, for being here today. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show, the single best way to help it grow is to subscribe, like, and share with everybody you know. Exactly. So, you know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country, Sharon. Yes, we are. Isn't it funny how, you know, we talk at a meeting and four years later, we're in the top 50. I know. Wow. It's hard to believe. It's crazy. Good for you guys. I'm proud of you. Yeah. We want to be, I want to be number one. Sharon wants to be number 10, you know. Well, Lorraine uh, knows that a 10 was a really good thing. That's a good number. Yeah, that's what you she keeps telling me. I'm like, you know, I'll be a one. We're yeah. good. So. But, um, you get the one from me every day when I'm here. I do. I'm always number one in your mind. So, But anyway, I think it's right. I think it is. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you so very much for joining us. It's about time we get you on here. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com 
to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.